Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning and to be privileged to hear from your word, Lord. We know you didn't have to speak, Lord. And yet, in the grace of who you are, you are a speaking God. You reveal yourself and make yourself known to us in your word and in your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that we would honor both this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something amazing happen to your friend that you wish would have happened to you? At the end of my junior year here at Cedarville, I ran for SGA chaplain, okay? And here's the thing about running for something like that. You, you really want to do it, but you want the Lord's will to be done. So when you pray, you pray, Lord, I want your will to be done, but I want you to make your will me getting elected as SGA chaplain. And you imagine all the powerful ways God could use you to preach and to speak. All the topics that, that, that you'll be able to cover that nobody else has covered yet. To use your gifts to do, to do great things for God. And I kind of forget how that whole process worked, but somehow everybody got eliminated except for me and my buddy. So it was just the two of us in this election. And so they had this really awkward setup. All I remember is like we were in chapel and both of us gave a testimony and then suddenly everybody's voting, okay? How, how weird is that? And yet, there we had it. So we both had our khaki pants on and our button-down shirts because we had to wear khaki pants back then. I can't believe I'm wearing jeans and on stage right now. This is amazing. But we had our khaki pants on, our button-down shirts. He had his cool frosted gelled hair I had four inches of height on him, so it was kind of a toss-up between the two of us. And so we gave our testimonies, we sat down, we waited for the results, and guys, he beat me by a landslide, an absolute landslide. Like, it was like, if you were voting in the NBA for MVP, it's like LeBron James versus like Taylor Swift, okay? You're gonna think I hate Taylor Swift. I just thought that was a funny comparison. <laughs> but it was a landslide, he beat me. And you know what? He went on to do a phenomenal job as SGA chaplain. You can look it up in the yearbook if you want to, but one thing you won't find pictured in the yearbook is the runner-up to the SGA chaplain. And I remember going to pray that evening, going, going before the Lord to talk to him about all this, and I, and I realized something, that the sincerity of my prayers, that God's will be done prior to finding out who got what, were sort of tested in my willingness to pray those same prayers for my friend. In other words, would I want the same blessing for my friend that God had denied to me? What I'm pointing out to you, friends, with that illustration is basically that in your friendships, in your relationships for the rest of your life, there's gonna be plenty of times, plenty of opportunities for envy, for jealousy. Because there's gonna be plenty of good things that happen to them that will not happen to you. Yesterday, we talked about learning to trust God with your own unique path. It takes humility. 
and, and that, that, that guards us against insecurity. But today I really wanna focus on learning to trust God with your friends' lives also takes unique humility. In fact, it takes supernatural humility and that's gonna guard your heart from jealousy. So remember the main idea from yesterday? I think we, let me put that up for you. The main idea from yesterday, remember, for both days, the key of lasting friendship is humility before God. Humility is trusting the Lord's unique will for your own life and his unique will for your friend's life. This neutralizes both insecurity and jealousy. We already covered the first. Today, we're gonna cover the second. So the main point for this morning is humility is trusting the Lord's unique will for your friend's life. And that's gonna guard you against jealousy. So the text we're gonna be launching from, from the life of Jonathan and David again, is 1 Samuel chapter 20. So turn with me there. We're gonna be looking at 1 Samuel 20, verses 12 through 17. Now, before I read that, let me just, again, remind you where we're at. You'll remember that one of the main themes in this epic story is the contrast between Saul's response to David and Jonathan's response to David. And this particular story is when David is being hunted by Saul. Saul hated him so much, he wanted to kill him. He tried to kill him, and then he was hunting him to kill him. But here's the thing. David was so kind of innocent-minded at that point, he, had, he could not understand, why is this king jealous of me? I'm a servant. I'm a nobody. Why, why, is, he, why is he hunting me down? And so in his confusion... He went to the one person that he could safely ask questions to, the one person that he could, he could dialogue with to try to understand what's happening in my life. And that safe person was actually Jonathan. So that's where we're at. Let me read the text for you, verses 12 through 17. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness when I've sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. And if I'm still alive... Show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And don't cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So I think the key to understanding this interaction between Jonathan and David is actually in verse 13. If you want to glance down, you'll notice that a, a, a word there is repeated twice. The name of the Lord, okay? He said, the Lord do so to Jonathan if I don't keep you safe from my father. And then further on down, he says, may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. Again, friends, 
This is a God-centered understanding of his own life. He's modeling something beautiful for us. Jonathan wasn't processing this interaction merely in terms of like the political ramifications of David's relationship with Saul and what it's gonna mean about his future. And hey, am I gonna be like kind of sidled out of this thing? That was not the center of his concern. The center of his concern was, like we saw yesterday, what the Lord was doing, what the Lord has chosen. So that's the amazingly rich thing about this. When he says, when he says, may the Lord be with you as he was with my father, that's, that's language that's touching on a key theme of this, of this epic story. And one of those key themes is that when the Lord anoints a man to be king, his spirit rushes upon him as it even did to Saul. Saul, who didn't even have the right heart for it. The, the spirit rushed on him and suddenly he was prophesying. Suddenly he was doing great things on behalf of God because the king is God's agent in that sense. That's in chapters 10 and 11 and 19. So Saul had experienced this. It's kind of like getting a star on Mario Brothers, okay? Like when the spirit comes on you in that position, like you're, you're invincible. And here, and here Jonathan's saying, God has uniquely set his spirit on you, David. That, that same thing that was my father's that, that if it got passed down through the heritage and line would be mine, it, it's yours. This was Jonathan saying to David, you will have the privilege that was supposed to be mine and I will give my life to make sure that that happens. Can you see how staggering the selflessness is? What would motivate Jonathan to do this? Well, again, like we saw yesterday, you see it best in the contrast between Saul's response and Jonathan's response. So let's, let's just take two very similar points to yesterday. Here's the first one. Saul did not trust the Lord. And so he was threatened by David. He was afraid of David. He was jealous of David. Yesterday, we established this pattern in Saul's life. He refused to trust the Lord's direction because he was full of pride. So we saw yesterday one of his failures to trust God when he approached God on his own terms. He didn't wait for Samuel to do the sacrifice. He did the sacrifice. Remember that part? But there's more. Saul later ignores the Lord again when God told him to eliminate the Amalekite army and all of its wealth, all of the spoils that he could have received. He said, God said, destroy it all. I don't want that. That's not a sacrifice that's pleasing to me. But Saul defeats the Amalekites, and then keeps the good stuff for himself. And he's condemned for it in chapter 15. Later on, Saul will decide to seek the Lord, but it's after Samuel has already passed away and he hadn't sought Samuel. So do you guys remember the story? What does he do to seek the Lord's will at that point? I got a great idea. I'm gonna talk to a witch. I'm gonna go to some place named Endor, which by the way, the moon of Endor in Star Wars was named after this, okay? I'm gonna to go to the witch of Endor and I'm gonna to talk to her to call up the spirit of Samuel and, and use this, these dark crafts to seek the Lord's will. Do you see how ridiculous that is? He wanted God's blessings on his own terms. He didn't submit to God in the way God speaks. So Saul's lack of trust in God made him respond to David 
not with celebration and joy at the hand of God being on a man who could deliver Israel. He was jealous of him. And that jealousy drove him. It, 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 it made him crazy. In fact, we, we, we glanced at yesterday, after David killed Goliath and started uh, doing well in the army, Saul tries to kill him twice with a spear. Twice he was so overcome by it that he would hunt David down, even in caves. And so we learn something here, friends. When you're defending your own plans instead of trusting God's plans for you, you go crazy. You're gonna go insane. You're gonna, you're gonna treat people according to whether they actually contribute to your vision of what should happen or if they don't. So the people that are on the team, that are on your team, you treat super kindly. And the people that are a threat to your plans, you're gonna have some kind of an adversarial relationship with. That's the way that it works. In fact, in, if you wanna write this down, we won't read it, but in 1 Samuel 20, as you have in the reference there, Saul gets infuriated at his own son, Jonathan, when Jonathan won't get on his plans to do his will. And he says, don't you realize, Jonathan, this is about you too. If you support this guy, our family line gets cut off. And then he goes on to call his own wife and Jonathan's mother a whore, which is just, this guy's nuts, okay? And so, again, the heart of what Saul said to Jonathan is, don't you realize that David is taking everything away from my future and from your future? You have to eliminate him if you're gonna have uh, any good for you in the future. And that's what jealousy does, doesn't it? It puts on full display for everyone to see the desires of your heart that drive you most. What you most want in life is most detectable in your jealousy. Saul did not want God's will. Saul wanted his own plans for his own kingdom. In fact, when Jonathan didn't cooperate, he actually tried to spear him too later on. But let's consider again how Jonathan responded. That's the second point. Jonathan trusted the Lord, and so he celebrated the hand of God on David. So yesterday, we also established that pattern in Jonathan's life. He was trusting of the Lord's direction. He was full of humility, this, this key virtue that we've been talking about. So, you remember, he sought the Lord's direction when he attacked the Philistines in chapter 14. He gave David his clothing and his sword. It's a public display of his willingness to lend his strength to establish David. That was in chapter 18. All of this loyalty to David kept coming. It kept being explained on the lips of Jonathan by the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. He had a God-centered understanding of David's life as well as his own. So Jonathan trusted the simple fact that the Lord knows best. Do you trust that fact? 
Because Jonathan lived courageously because he trusted that fact. So friends, if you want to live courageously, you have to trust that fact that God knows better than you do. In fact, one of the most beautiful interactions, I'll just read it for you. If you want to write it down, it's in chapter 23, verses 15 through 18. The last time Jonathan and David see each other. This is what the word of God says about that. David saw that Saul had come to seek out his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose up and went to David at Horish. I love this line, guys. Carry this with you. And strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. That's the last time they see each other in some field, in some wilderness where this exchange occurs. Because you know what happens to Jonathan from that point? The faithful, loyal Jonathan follows his foolish, ambitious father into battle and gets killed. Saul gets killed. In fact, uh, three of Saul's sons get killed. So this was the last time Jonathan would be speaking to David. And I want you to notice two things about what I just read. The first is that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. I love that phrase. You know what that means? With your hand, you accomplish your will, okay? So if you want coffee in your body, you, ha you don't just use your mouth, right? Unless you're really weird, okay? You use your hand, okay? You grab it and you put it into your body. Your hands are the means by which you accomplish your will. So when the hand of a king is talked about, it's basically your hand is the, what you grasp your sword with to accomplish what it is that you need to accomplish in your rule and in your reign. And so when it says that Jonathan strengthened his hand in the Lord, we know that that's what he's about to say is, is, is the strengthening of that. And he's reminding David of what God's will is for David's life. You shall be king over Israel. You were anointed by God. The spirit of God is on you. He reminded David of God's intention to give the kingdom to David, to defend God's people. It's, guys, this is staggering humility on behalf of Jonathan. And the second thing I want you to notice about what he's saying here is that Jonathan encourages David not to fear. Did you notice that? Don't fear. Do you remember the, one of the main reactions of Saul that we talked about yesterday? Fear. He was saying, David, don't go the way of my father. Don't, don't, don't be insecure and cagey. Trust what the Lord says. Be that man after God's own heart who rules on behalf of God in the right ways. You'll be king over Israel and I'll be next to you. Is it kind of a sweet, sad thing that Jonathan never gets to be next to David? Because he died next to his father. 
And so Jonathan's name lives on as this amazingly loyal friend who never kind of got the benefit in the earthly sense of what he so carefully guarded. So how do we apply this, friends? How do we apply this? Trusting the Lord's will for your friend's life frees you from jealousy over the good things that God gives to them and not to you. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that jealousy is forbidden in the original Ten Commandments, okay? I don't know why I said the original Ten Commandments, just the Ten Commandments, okay? Because when it's repeated, it's the exact same thing, okay? But jealousy is, is put alongside, in the Ten Commandments, it's put alongside lying, stealing, adultery, murder. W- what's the big deal? That kind of seems like a one of these things is not like the other. But this is what the 10th commandment says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when you hear that, you might be like, yeah, that's pretty easy. I've literally never wanted my neighbor's ox, okay? The donkey, maybe, but not the ox, okay? But that's why it says, or anything that is your neighbor's. Why does God care whether you're jealous or not? What's the big deal? These are just kind of little things that go on in your heart. They're not a big deal, right? Well, they say something actually, not just about your relationship to that person, but they say something about your relationship to God. Because I want you to notice something. The 10th commandment, is really just a different version of the first commandment. And do you know, remember what the first commandment is? I'm the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. I saved you. I showed you who I am. Don't have any other God before me. That's what commandment one is. And commandment 10 is not different than commandment one. It's just a specific application of commandment one. Do you see the connection? Because here's what we're doing in our jealousy. God, I know better than you do what I need to have, what should be my plan and your will for my life. I want that thing that my neighbor has more than I want your wisdom, your will, your grace, your version of generosity to me. So folks, when, when that girl you like starts liking one of your friends or ladies, that guy you like, likes, likes, likes liking, starts liking one of your friends, okay? When that spot on the team, whether that's a sports team or ministry team or organization, when that spot goes to your buddy and therefore it can't go to you, When that friend lands that incredible opportunity for right after graduation and you're still figuring out what you're gonna do come May, that's when our hearts are tested most. Do we love and value God more than any of the perceived benefits or blessings or directions that we want him to give us? 
And folks, this is my point. In friendships, in life, a life of relationships means there's gonna be times of conflicting interests where one person, for one person to have something, the other person cannot have it. But let me assure you of something. The complexity of your clashing interests with all of your friendships will never be more complex than Jonathan and David's. And look what God did in Jonathan's heart to give him this just, he's a, like I said yesterday, he's an absolute stud. He is, he's the picture of manhood because he's courageous and selfless and not obsessed with himself and he's strong and successful because of it. That's beautiful. Men, you should wanna model yourself after that. Ladies, you should wanna model yourself after that. Because this is what humility is. And this humility will guard your heart from jealousy taking over you. So, when you believe that God's will is wiser than yours, or maybe let me put it this way, when God is wiser at distributing his gifts to who he will than you would be if you were distributing the gifts, when you believe that, that's what humility is. And that's what's going to guard you. So I like to have little sort of mental shortcuts on things like this. So let me, let me offer one to you just if, if this is practical. Maybe you can think of it this way when you're tempted to compare your life to your friend's life. Okay? You can think, my life is no better. My life is no worse. My life is the Lord's. Okay? My life is no better. My life is no worse. My life is the Lord's. Guess what? You can do the exact same thing for your friend. Your friend's life is no better. Your friend's life is no worse. Your friend's life is the Lord's. You see where I'm putting the emphasis? It's the emphasis of this text, of this story, of the whole book of 1 Samuel. It is God's choice not your choice that determines the shape and the direction of your life. And that's the best news you could get, guys, because he's way wiser than you are. And like I said yesterday, he's way more generous than you could possibly be to even yourself. And that's where we need to land, friends. My last sort of little application thing on the slide is in, in Jesus Christ, this humility is already yours. Remember we said this yesterday. It's already yours, so learn to ask for it. Philippians 2.5 is a beautiful verse. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, okay? So he's telling you, it's a command and instruction, have this mind, and then he, just, and then he says, because it's actually already yours. And what is this mind he's talking about? Well, that's the passage you already know, probably. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others as more important than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests alone, but also to the interests of others. So like I told you yesterday, this humility is not something you earn. It's not something you merely go out and do. It's something that you request from God because he's already pledged to give it to you in Jesus Christ, Jesus who earned it on your behalf. And folks, I just gotta tell you, 
your life will have these little flare-ups of jealousy for the rest of your life. Don't be discouraged by that. Those are just new, fresh opportunities to again freshly ask God for this humility. You're gonna have to do it a dozen times a day sometimes. And folks, that will set you up with the right kind of heart to have the right kind of friendships and relationships. And when God brings those types of people with those types of hearts into your life, there is nothing more valuable than that. Guys, I should know this. I have so many dear friends from my college years, from my seminary years, from my, from my present church. My siblings are, are some of my dearest friends. I have people that are generous to me in all of these ways in such a way that I can't believe. And you know, I wanna, I'll land the plane with this. You know, one of, my, one of my Jonathans, if you will, is actually named David. His, he was my roommate here at Cedarville. And he had, about 19 years ago, we were both married, not to the same lady, okay? About 19 years ago, he had a daughter. About 19 years ago, I had a daughter. And those two daughters are now roommates here in Printy at Cedarville, which is really cool. So, Allie and Claire, don't screw up the relationship. I'm kidding, that's terrible. I would not put that pressure on y'all because this is actually my point where I'm landing, guys. I wouldn't want that pressure on me because if it were up to me, I would mess up every relationship in my life. If it were up to me by my own strength to guard against jealousy, to make sure I'm being selfless, I would absolutely fail. But my confidence has to be that the Lord is more generous with me and with my friends than I could ever do on my own. I have to be confident that Jesus was a friend to this sinner. And so that's your confidence, my friends. Let me pray and we can be dismissed. Father in heaven, we give praise to you for all that you have done in us and through us. And I pray specifically today that my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room, you would guard their hearts from both insecurity and jealousy because, Father, they love and trust you above all things. And I pray that you would give them glimpses of your will for their lives incrementally as you see fit when they need it, Lord, and not before. Because, Lord, we need to learn continually to trust you. And we do, Father, as, a gift, as the gift of faith that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Folks, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day.